Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today.
kind of challenge you as we sing out this next song. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that the Lord is good. We can just take on things and we can complain. It's kind of human nature. But we need to refocus and we need to look up to God and think of all the wonderful things that He is doing. And that He is so, so good to us. Just think about that. Challenge you. Lift up your heart to Him as you sing out the song. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Come on, sing that up with me. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days, I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will see of the goodness. God. All my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we exalt you for the great God that you are. We thank you that we can come together and worship you, Lord. We thank you that we can gather in your name, that there is freedom through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. So as we gather this morning, we pray that our offering of worship, that our time spent with you would work in our lives, Lord. It would penetrate our hearts, Lord, and remind us that you are a God of great and mighty things. You are a God who restores. You are a God who moves mountains, Lord. Lord, we pray for hearts in this community, that they would know your love. I pray for hearts for those who might be isolated right now, those who may be feeling alone, Lord. Speak to them and let them know they are not alone. You are a God who is everywhere. You are a God who sees all things, and you are a God who holds us close. So move this morning, Lord. And again, we exalt you, and we give you praise as only you are worthy of praise. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us online for our worship service today. It is our hope, it's our prayer that as you lean into the service today, that you get to encounter God in a powerful and meaningful and beautiful way. You know, while we've moved to an online platform, our mission as a church has not changed. We exist as South Valley Community Church to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is just one of the ways that we get to do that. And so we just would like to encourage you if you haven't gone to the website, svcclamore.org, go ahead and do that. And the first thing that you're going to see when you get there are all the ways in which you can meet with us throughout the week and on the weekends. We have a YouTube channel, Instagram, and Facebook for all ages and stages, for adults. And we especially want to encourage you to take out, check out what's happening with our kids and our youth, with high school and middle school and with elementary age and even younger than that.
that. Our teams are working super hard to put port the great content that they're doing so that your family as a whole can grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so we are so glad to be able to have that opportunity. Please go ahead and check it out. Uh, a couple months ago, several individuals from South Valley began the Rooted Study. And while we've had to pivot in the way of how we got together and meet with groups to get into those spiritual disciplines, many groups continue to meet virtually and some have actually just finished. And we are so excited to be able to hear about how the Lord has been at work through the individuals who have participated in Rooted. And so if you are a Rooted participant, we sent an email to you not long ago about getting some pictures from you, getting some video. We would love to be able to get that from you. We're going to put my email address on the screen for you. Uh, I would love to get those pieces of, of pictures and videos just to, to be able to help commemorate what's being done. And so if you have anything from your cardboard testimonies or anything like a screenshot from your group or anything that y'all had done since you began Rooted, we would love to have it. And so we're working toward a, a special project and how we can celebrate what God has been doing. And then also, if you call South Valley Community Church your home, we just want to encourage you to remain diligent in your giving. And we're gonna put on the screen right now just the different ways in which you can give. You can go online and donate through the website. You can also text your giving. You can also hand deliver it to the church office, which is on our property here, 25 Willow Drive. It's the house right in front of the church. And we have a slot right through the door that you can put your offering envelope right on through there. And just, it's a way for us, South Valley, for us to rally around the work that the Lord is doing. When we give, when we give our offering is an expression of our trust in the Lord, is an expression of obedience. And we just get to come alongside that work. And so we just want to encourage you to continue on with that. Um, before we head into the remainder of our service this morning, I would just love to pray with you. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me, I'd love to be able to do that with you this morning. Father in heaven, you are mighty. You are beautiful. You are powerful. You are compassionate. Lord, and your grace is beyond anything we could ever understand. And we just stand here today humbled by your love for us. And it is our prayer, Lord, that because of your love for us, that we would extend outward and be your hands and feet with the spirit of love and compassion, Lord. Your, your word tells us in Ecclesiastes, in chapter four, verse nine, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. And then a little bit further down, you say, though one may be overpowered by one another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And Lord, there is a lot of brokenness in our world, Lord. And we just pray that as the church, that we would be the expression of your love to the world around us, Lord. Help us to have eyes and ears and hearts that are outward focused to be a blessing to our community, whether it's through texting or calling friends in need and reaching out that way, or maybe it's serving through getting groceries for, for someone who's in need, or it's just lending an ear to someone who just needs to vent or, or, or someone to pray with. Lord, would you help us to be the type of community that you call us to be? We are so grateful for the love that you have expressed to us, and we just want to be able to express that love to the world around us, Lord. We thank you, we love you, and it's in the mighty, life-giving name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us, y'all. Have a good morning. Well, thank you, John and worship team. Thank you, Marcus. And uh, good morning.
uh, wherever you're listening to us and watching us this morning, uh, welcome to a brand new series, and uh, we're looking forward to unpacking some of this here over the next four or five or six weeks. Uh, what is your God like? Like, perhaps you grew up going to a Sunday school class or with grandparents or parents that took you to their church and introduced you to their faith, or perhaps you would say that you've never not been a Christian, or perhaps you would say that you are a Christian, but, you know, not, not, not one of those overzealous types. Your, your faith is more a private thing. Or perhaps you're still unsure about faith, about what you believe about God, uh, if there is a God, and what, what would that God be like, and how would you know who that God is? Little Lucy wrote a letter to God, a dear God, are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? <laughs> uh, an eight-year-old boy from Chula Vista uh, in California here wrote a homework assignment, and the homework assignment was he had to explain God. And listen in for just a couple of minutes as I read what he wrote. This is an eight-year-old boy, okay? One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so that there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups just babies. I think because they are smaller and easier to make. That way, he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people like preachers and things pray at times beside bedtime. God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Because He hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in His ears unless He has thought of some way to turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere which keeps him pretty busy, so you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom's and dad's head asking for things they said you couldn't have. Jesus is God's Son. He used to do all the hard work, like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach people who didn't want to learn about God. They finally got tired of him preaching, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind like his father, and he told his father they don't know what they were doing and to forgive them. And God said, okay. You can pray anytime you want, and they are sure to help you because they have it all worked out so that one of them is on duty all the time. You should always go to church on Sunday because it makes God happy. And if there's anyone you want to make happy, it is God. But you shouldn't just always think about what God can do for you. I figure God put me here, and He can take me back anytime He pleases, and that's why I believe in God. <laughs> that's an eight-year-old, okay? Quite amazing theology of who God is. What is your God like? So, we're going to explore what God is like by unpacking for the next five or so weeks the Old Testament book called Leviticus. This is the middle book of the Torah, the third book 
of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And if you listened in on Palm Sunday, I actually taught something of Leviticus, and that kind of sparked my thinking about, hey, what about doing something else in that book? But very quick, here's a starting comment. The biblical theology, the core theme of Leviticus is how Yahweh, the Lord God, has opened a way for humanity, you and me, to dwell in the divine presence, how we can experience relationship with Him. Uh, the psalmist asks, who shall ascend the mountain of Yahweh, the hill of the Lord? And uh, that's what we're going to explore. How do we gain that entrance into His divine presence? And if you look at the book of Leviticus, immediately before the book of Leviticus, it ends or it begins with the ending of the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus ends with God dwelling in the midst of His people, God's people, the Israelites. And the book of Exodus ends with them building a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, where God would come and descend and live amongst His people. That's how the book of Exodus ends, and now we come to the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus is not about how God dwells with us, but it is how the abode of God can possibly, come, can possibly become the meeting place between Yahweh, the Lord God, and His people. In other words, how can we dwell in that divine presence? How can we get back to paradise with God? How can we have Eden restored? Or another way to say it is, how do we become whole again? How can we live in a vibrant, living relationship with God? Listen to this hub verse, okay? Uh, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, and it says these words, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. So, right off, we learn this about God, that God is holy. Uh, let's just hold at this verse for a moment. We're good with the first part of the verse. So, God's people were in bondage. They were prisoners held in Egypt by Pharaoh. They were slaves forced to make bricks and work for Egypt. They were oppressed. And the great story of the people of God is that God moved and God brought them up out of Egypt. He delivered them. He freed them. He, he redeemed them. He saved them. And that part of God we know and we celebrate. The Christian believes that God in Christ has delivered us and freed us from our sin. He's redeemed us. He, he has saved us. We preach it. We believe it. 
But the second part of that verse we're not as familiar with or we're not that comfortable with. I'm the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Holy, H-O-L-Y. That's old-fashioned. It's legalistic. It, it's rules and regulations. Holy conjures up ideas of no dancing, no drinking, no going to the movies, and, and no dating girls that drink or dance or go to the movies either. Over years of preaching, holiness has been given a bad rap. Holiness has been portrayed, taught as something stern, something severe, something unappealing, something denying, something harsh. But holiness is something good. But although it's good, it's not something safe. Uh, I don't know if you saw or read the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I don't know if this line was in the movie, but C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, in his book, there's a great line. Uh, Little Lucy here's a description of the Christ figure, Aslan. And it occurs to her for the very first time that she might be a little bit nervous if she were to come before this magnificent being. And Mrs. Beaver says, that you will, make no mistake. Anyone who could appear before Aslan without their knees knocking is either braver than most or just plain silly. And so, little Lucy asks, then he isn't safe? And then I love this line. Mr. Beaver speaks to all the children, and he says, safe? Haven't you been listening at all? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. When you're in lockdown, grab a hold of the Chronicles of Narnia and read it together or watch the movie. Not only in Leviticus are we going to rediscover what our God is like, we're going to discover what our lives should be like. This is not a safe study. You can learn it safely as you watch on Sundays, but the truth of the teaching of God's Word is not safe. God forbid that we ever have a safe deity, a deity that we could manage who's just like us. Uh, Robert Withrow, who is the professor of religious sociology at Princeton University, he said these insightful words. At one time, theologians argued that the chief purpose of humankind was to glorify God. Now it would seem that the logic has been reversed. The chief purpose of God is to glorify humankind. 
spirituality no longer is true or good because it meets absolute standards of truth and goodness, but because it helps me get along. And that's so true in our culture. If, if God helps me find a a vacant parking space, or if God helps me become slim, or if God helps me find that job, or if God helps us beat that other team, then I'll worship this God because He must be good. But if He leads me into the wilderness, or if He calls me to face dangers, or if He asks me to do difficult things, then I'd rather not deal with Him, because God should exist for me, not me for God. Here is something that is hauntingly true. Many people who believe in Jesus don't actually believe in God. Many people who believe in Jesus don't actually believe in God. The trouble for many people is that Jesus is not really God. Arianism is alive and well in many evangelical churches. In most religions, there is the concept of being holy. So, for Sunni Muslims, holiness is pursued through maintaining the five pillars of Islam, uh, professing faith, praying Salat, and you pray five times a day, fasting Ramadan, which is just beginning, paying of alms, and the Hajj, that pilgrimage to Mecca. For Shi'i Muslims, to become holy, you, not, you perform the ten branches of religion. You take the five that the Sunni Muslims do, and you add another five because you're more holy. Buddhists pursue becoming holy through the holy eightfold path, eight steps that you need to take which leads to samadhi. And then when you get to samadhi, you become the better of yourself. You have better comprehension. You have better vision and knowledge and wisdom. And then, poof, it starts all over again. For some religions, becoming holy involves cleansing or being made pure, often using water. So, if you were to become a holy Sikh, one must go to the golden temple, the, their most holy place, and you must bathe in the middle holy water surrounding the temple, which is built in the middle of a lake. Or, if you were a Russian Orthodox believer on Orthodox Easter just last Sunday, you would have been seen jumping into the freezing cold waters of the Moskva River on the eve of Epiphany. And you jumped into those freezing waters to cleanse yourself, to become holy. And to do it properly, you had to jump in three times, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the air temperature was minus 32 centigrade, which is about minus 40 Fahrenheit. If you're part of the Unification Church, founded by Sun Mung Moon. Holiness is attained through what is referred to as the three-day ceremony. You need a holy handkerchief, and you need some holy salt. And you wash yourself in the holy salt water with the holy handkerchief, and then you make love to your spouse. 
And you do that every day for three days. <laughs> Some of you are now seriously thinking about becoming a Mooney. <laughs> a well-intentioned Christian might open the book of Leviticus and begin reading and discover that according to this book of the Scriptures, the Christian route to holiness involves walking around with oil on your earlobes and oil on the big toe of your right foot. It, it involves making sure that if you have a beard, you do not clip the edges or cut your sideburns. Or, to be holy, you don't eat rabbit pie or bacon burgers. And you never have a skin infection, and if you do, you shave every hair on your body, including your eyebrows, and you never sleep in a house that has mildew, and you never eat your steaks rare. They must be well cooked and the blood all burned off, and you don't wear clothes that are made both of cotton and wool, and you don't hold the wife of your, the, and you don't hold the hand of your wife when she's in her period. And the list could go on. But why do all religions have some way, some route to follow, some path to walk, some ritual to undertake to attain holiness? Well, what does the word holy mean? The word holy in the Hebrew is the word chadosh, which means, in its simplest form, to set apart. So, come with me to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus was the first book of the Torah that Jewish schoolchildren would learn. And when I say learn, I mean they actually memorized it and recited it verbally, word for word. Now, I get two boys, my youngest boy, he could recite every lyric to every country song that he hears on Prime Country, <laughs> I don't think he knows much about Leviticus, okay? The Torah, which are the first five books of Moses, sometimes known as the Pentateuch, which is a Greek word meaning five containers, and Torah means teaching or instructions. And over the next many weeks, we will better understand why these instructions like this are in the Bible and how we interpret them the right way for us to know how to live for God. But this morning, I want you to see two things. Number one, holiness is not an abstract idea. Much of the holiness that you see or hear seems abstract, like uh, to be holy, you've got to go and live in a monastery up a mountain where talking is forbidden. Or being holy is doing five religious activities that cause suffering and are difficult and leave you with pain, and people whipping themselves or cutting themselves. Or holiness is being celibate. Or Holiness is washing in the river Euphrates on the third day of the eighth month before the sun rises. But when God invited or called His people to become holy, 
He grounded it in the practical, in the daily, in the ordinary things that make up our lives, what we eat, how and when we work, and how we speak, and what we do with our money, and how we live in the kitchen, how we live in the bedroom, how we live in the office, as much as how we live in a worship center or a sanctuary. And here's the point. Holiness was as much about Monday through Friday. Holiness was as much to do with the home as a church service, as much to do with your work, as much to do with your worship. Because the holy God who is asking you to be holy is present in your home, is present in your office, is present in your kitchen, is present in your bedroom, is present in your car, is present in your garden, unless you own a cat in God is in your living room. God is in your man cave. Well, unless your man cave is adorned with Raiders or Dodgers posters, then God's not there because that's hell, okay? Remember, Leviticus is learning not just how we should live, but about the God that we live for. So, all the other gods that were worshipped by the nations surrounding Israel were gods that remained abstract. They were in their holy temples, they were on their holy mountains or by their holy shrines. But the God of Israel, your God and my God, He was and is not marginalized. He's not confined to a holy site or a holy place or a holy land. He is ever-present in the totality of your life, and every place and every site becomes holy. It's in the ordinary that you meet and you worship God, and it's in the ordinary that you become holy. Listen to the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14, verse 21, when he says regarding holiness, every pot and every pan will be holy to the Lord. Now, I know that we've still got a long way to go to understand what it is to be holy, but today, let me make this first point. Holiness is not an abstract idea. It is submerged in everything that you do, from the loftiest thing that you do, some holy worship, some sacred moment of intercession with Christ, to the most basic and ordinary aspects of your life. Here's a core truth of the teachings of Leviticus. Every other religion's concept of holiness emphasizes separation from the world. The world is evil, the world is polluted, and you must do something, even receive punishment, to come away from that world. That's not the message of Leviticus. The message of Leviticus is that you and I are to be holy in the world. And that's a huge difference. And sometimes Christianity and Christians will present a holiness or a Christian living that is isolation from the world. 
not separation from the world. And there's a very big difference between being isolated and being separated. And through this series, we will help you learn how you can take an ordinary day doing ordinary things and make it holy to the Lord. Holiness becomes the basic priority in all aspects of living for God's people. Now, let me take a deeper dive here for those who are interested in more detailed Bible study, and you're going to have to pursue this a little bit more yourself, okay? There are two things being taught in Leviticus. One, God's holiness, and two, sin's pollution. So, Leviticus will talk about things that are clean and unclean. It doesn't say things that are sinful and unsinful, but it chooses the words clean and unclean. And unclean is not always equated with particularly sinful acts. Like, if you were to read, read Leviticus chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, unclean would be if you had contact with a, dead car- with a dead carcass, or unclean might be if you have a skin ailment, even a scab or, or a boil, or, or unclean could be even certain times of having sexual intercourse, or, or unclean could be a woman during her menstrual cycle. And Leviticus says that these make someone unclean, and, and they list how it needs to be dealt with. But if you look at that list, Those are not moral offenses against God which require forgiveness. They're not sinful. So, why? What is being taught when the writer uses the term clean and unclean? These acts are not sinful in themselves. They're unclean, and they're unclean because each in their own way, reflect sin's damage. They reflect death and mortality. They reflect sin's pollution of the earth. They all come because of sin, though they themselves are not sinful. Now, remember, stay deep with me. Now, remember, the invitation to the Israelites was that God's presence would be in their midst, His glory. This was the tabernacle. This was the house of meeting. And sin's pollution, as much as sin itself, would cause them to be exiled from His presence. His glory would be thwarted due to sin's pollution. Or What's the teaching? There's a difference between knowing God and living with God. Or what's the teaching? There's a difference between God forgiving your sins and you experiencing the life of God within you. Or to say it the Leviticus way, There is an amazing invitation to be made whole, and that way is not only about being forgiven, 
but is also about becoming holy. There is a life that God is inviting you to live. And it's not just a transaction deal where your sins are forgiven and you get heaven. It's the invite to live with God. And that's the holy life. It's real. It's in His presence. It's more and greater and bigger. It's more than just having your sins forgiven. It is knowing eternal life within you. This is living holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. This is living holy, H-O-L-Y. And Leviticus will unpack this for us. But let me continue. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. I want you to know this. Becoming holy starts this side of God's grace. Ah, this is really important because I know the minute the word holy gets thrown out there, you and I both feel, all feel inadequate, all feel dirty, all feel, oh man, I know the kind of life I have. There's no way I'm holy. Holiness starts this side of God's grace. So, God says, verse 45, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. You maybe don't understand me fully, says God. You maybe don't follow everything that you're reading in this book, but one thing you know is my redemption. That's not earned. That's given by grace. And that grace has brought you out of Egypt. You ain't sitting in Egypt as Moses writes down what I'm telling him to write down. I brought Israel out of Egypt because I loved them. And I've brought you out of your guilt and your sin and your oppression and your emptiness and your bondage because I love you. Not because you're holy, but because of my grace. So, I know personally, I work hard trying not to sin, but I can be rather careless or too casual in staying away from the pollution of sin. What I watch on Netflix or what I laugh at or what I listen to or what I allow my mind to think about but I am learning to let His grace reach me every day because it's grace that leads me to holiness, not judgment. Me being holy doesn't start with my guilt and me feeling judged and condemned. It starts with God's grace, and this is so important. God has rescued me. God has redeemed me. God has forgiven me. God's salvation has come upon me, and I take all of that in my fallenness and in my humanness. His grace is good. 
but God's grace, while it is so good, is not safe. Because His grace demands or compels me to pursue becoming holy. And being holy leads me to a lifestyle and life values and life behaviors that stand often contrary to our culture, to our friends, to our society. It requires me, it requires you to speak up when others stay silent. It requires me, it requires you to stand with others who others walk away from. It requires me, it requires you to not do what others casually do. It requires me, and you to march to the beat of a different drum. Holiness, like God's grace, is good. It leads to wholeness, and that wholeness is the best life you could ever pursue. So, as we start this series, if you choose to pursue the good that God has, it will lead to you being whole, but it isn't safe. Are you ready for more? The eternal life, the abundant life that Jesus speaks of, the holy, unsafe life. Are you just going to cross your arms? and settle for the comfort, knowing that your sins dealt with, one day you might get heaven. Are you ready for the adventure of the unsafe, good, holy life? I hope you stay with us for the next many weeks. And next week, we're going to look at how much salt you should add to your diet. Let's bow our hearts and pray as we finish this morning's online service. We thank you for your amazing grace that we don't start a study in holiness by feeling condemned and judged for how far short our lives fall. That we don't start from a place of guilt and feeling oppressed and condemned but we start from a place of knowing something of your amazing grace and your incredible salvation. But may your Spirit speak into our souls, and may we not just settle for a transaction of forgiveness, but may we want to pursue the fullness and the wholeness of life that Christ died to give us. Take us on a journey. Allow us to go on this adventure. And may the result be transformed lives, living in your presence and knowing the fullness of the life you want to give. In Christ's name, amen. May God bless and lead you this week on your adventure of unsafe, holy living.